Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Well, I've been given a great chapter, as, as Lyndon said last week. What he forgot to tell you was it's about five pages long. <laughs> so I'm going to read this morning through the chapter. And, uh, and then I'm just going to go and touch on uh, a few points. We might take a rabbit trail or two this way and that way, but if you'll just come with me, I'm sure you'll enjoy the ride. So we're, we're, we're here uh, nearing the end of Abraham's life. Sarah has passed. Uh, they've had Isaac. Um, Abraham is wanting to fulfill God's covenant and he's asked a servant to do him, I don't want to say a favor, but a task. And it's a, it's a mighty task. So this is what he says to his servant. It says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all things he had, put your hand under my thigh that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it, you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, whom took, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if that woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant took ten of his master's camels, camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the, the camels kneel down beside the city by the well of water at the time of evening when the woman's, women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the, uh, the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink, and I, will, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one to whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I know, I know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out 
with her water jar on her shoulders. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she came, so she quickly emptied her jar into the throw and ran again to the well and, and, and to draw water. She drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camel had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets from her arm weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor. She, she added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran to her, to her mother's household, to her mother's household, ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebekah's sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared a house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have, until I have said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The, the Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he was given, was given all that, that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in, whom, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps this woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from the clan of my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. And when you come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if you, if you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little dr water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw from your camel also. I will draw for your camel also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed. Before I had finished, Speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. 
She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. And I, So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, nor, nor our son, who milk bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban said, and Laban and Bethuel answered and said, almost there, guys. (laughs) 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 Only another page and a half, no. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing that has come from the Lord, we cannot speak to, to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take, take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has said. And when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry and silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men whom were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go with my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her, and they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She, she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah with her sister. Re, they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who, who ate him. And Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from whatever that is and was dwelling in Negeb. And Isaac, went out to, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw. And behold, there was camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man? walking in the field to meet us. The servant said, it is my master. She took her, her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that had happened, he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his, the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac comfort, was comforted at his, at his mother's death. Well, what a story. <laughs> a couple repeats in there, but... Yeah, as I, as I kind of stated before I was reading, Abraham is, is nearing the end of his life. And he knows the covenant that God has made with him. That he wants to make a nation out of Abraham. And in order to do that, Abraham is asking the servant to make a covenant with him. To come and place his hand under his thigh. So Lyndon, I'd like you to come up here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, buddy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I mean, uh, how do I say this? 
I mean, if you're going to get a, another guy to promise and place his hand on the inside of your thigh, that's probably a serious matter, right? <laughs> a pretty serious matter. Tests bring maturity. Abraham's old. I, I kind of want us to go back a little bit and just take a look at some of the tests that Abraham went through, right? God calls him to leave his family. Put yourself in, in that place for a second. You're going to have to leave everybody that you love. I'm calling you out to trust me and follow me. There's a famine. God, God allows Abraham to go down into Egypt. And Abraham sins and lies. And yet God, God redeems Abraham and brings him out with servants and livestock. Because God is faithful to Abraham. Even when Abraham is unfaithful to God. Abraham heads into Sodom and rescues Lot. Abraham experiences the favor of God on his life because he defeats five kings with 318 men. God is testing Abraham and proving himself to Abraham. Abraham learns how to, to give. When he gives Melchizedek a tenth of all that he has, God is teaching Abraham how to trust and to give from what he has. Sarah and Hagar battle it out and, and there's a son Ishmael and Abraham has to go through that trial with that first son he has and, and not following God in that promise and seeing what that does that brings some heavy lessons and some maturity to Abraham's life Abraham and Abimelech again uh, we see the, the miraculous fulfillment of Isaac being born. And then we see Isaac being brought up to the mountain. Being ready to sacrifice. Abraham learning ob obedience. And God replacing that sacrifice. God is the God who matures people. And for us here in this room, God's heart and desire for you is to mature you and me out of the place we're in so we can walk with him in a powerful, obedient, faith-filled trust. And he does that through the trials in our life. And I want you to think about this for, for a sec. As I was reading through this, I was thinking all these things, and, and over the years, I, I always just see Abraham and Sarah maybe going through these trials. But you know, 
as I kind of looked into it, they, they think that there was around 2,000 people with Abraham. And all those people that he had circumcised, the men, were walking and watched Abraham go through this. They all kind of, in one sense, went through this together. Kind of like Potter's house here. We're going to go through some things together. Right? We have a an almighty leader, Jesus Christ. We have an under-shepherd, Wayne. We have an elder board. We have leadership. We have each other. And we're all going to walk through some really good times together. And we're probably going to walk through some tough times together. But God is maturing us for His glory and our good. And that's a wonderful thing. Abraham decides to send out his, his servant. And what does he tell him? He says, do not take a wife from the Canaanites. Go back to my family and to the land I came from and take a wife from my son. And the servant asks him, what if they won't come? Can I take Isaac back there? Abraham says no. So the one thing. The servant has to, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7, the Lord. He has to trust in the Lord with all his heart and lean not on his own understanding, but in all his ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in his own eyes, but fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. And we see through that chapter, this is what the servant did. He had to walk and he had to trust the Lord in some pretty uncertain places. They figured that it was 300 miles from Canaan to Mesopotamia. That's, that's how far the servant had to go. And didn't even know what was going to happen when he, get, when he got there. And we'll talk about the servant in a little bit, if I can get to it. But he... But I want you to, to know that, that that servant had a great task and must have had a great love for the Lord and must have seen what Abraham had gone through because there was quite a, a, a bit of faith in that servant's heart to do what he had to do, even though he doubted a little bit. So he had learned by what he had walked through with Abraham that the Lord was faithful that the Lord would never leave him or forsake him. That he could trust God even when he couldn't see God. But Abraham says, you can't take a wife from the Canaanites. And I'm going to read you a little information that I found out about the Canaanites. The Canaanites were descendants from Ham. Noah's son, who was cursed, for looking on him naked. They were by no means sweet and lovely people who spent their days painting rainbows on rocks and playing with butterflies. I didn't write this. This is, okay. Rather, they were anti-theocratic. That means they didn't believe in the one true God. They believed in many gods. And were hostile to God 
and to his people and, and comprised the most depraved culture in that world at that time. For centuries, the Canaanites practiced gross sexual immorality. I'm going to try and just be as gentle as this as I can, but I do want you to know where they were at as a culture. They practiced gross sexual immorality, which included all forms of incest. And they give some scriptures out of Leviticus. Homosexuality, sex with animals, They also engaged in occult and were hostile towards their parents. They offered their children as sacrifices to Molech. They would cut off the heads of of the conquered people as trophies. When going to war, they would send some of their own women into the opposing land to mingle with the men to get information and control. So they would enlist their their women whether they were willing or not to do these things. God says you cannot take a wife for my son from the Canaanites. We see after Abraham and Israel becomes a nation that as Israel continued to mingle with other nations they would continue to backslide and backslide and move further and further and further away from the Lord to where they would begin to do some of these things themselves. If you want to bring this scripture up, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. I'm going to try and explain this scripture because in this culture we're in right now, this can be very offensive. But I believe if if it's explained with the heart of God, you'll see why. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them. This is the Lord saying this. And I will walk among them. And I will be their God. God wants to be your God. And, you will, and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God's heart is to shepherd and father and be Lord and correct and strengthen and power his people. And in a sense, he wants them all to himself because he's a perfect and righteous father. He doesn't want harm to come upon his children. He doesn't want his children to dwell in sin because it'll destroy them. And because it's not his perfect way. 
So he calls his people out from darkness to separate themselves. Now, does that mean that his people don't love cultures that are in darkness? Of course. My wife and I were talking about, uh, about the... Um, about the man that was robbed and left to, to be beaten and bleeding on the road. And who passes by him first? It was the religious priest. And then an, another religious man passes by him and look, and, and they don't help him. And then just a regular Joe passes by and picks up the man helps the man, puts him on his camel, brings him to the town, pays for a place for him to stay and everything he needs. God wants us to love those who are in darkness. God wants us to care for those, but he doesn't want us to be yoked to that darkness. What is a yoke? A yoke is a wooden bar that joined, at, the, at that time was the wooden bar that joined two oxen to each other and to the burden that they pulled. So the two ox were joined by the yoke and, and not only was that yoke there to join them, but it was to help them pull the burden, the load, okay? Uh, an un, an e, unequaled yoke team has one stronger ox and one weaker, or one taller or one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk more slowly than the taller or the stronger, causing the load to go around in circles. When the ox are unequally yoked, they can't perform the task set before them. Instead of working together, they're at odds with each other. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in the context of this chapter, we're talking about marriage. And God's plan is for a man to leave his mother and father and to cleave to his wife. And he says, the two become one flesh. God has a plan for marriage. Robin and I have a, a heavenly divine plan from God to fulfill in our marriage. And if Jesus is the yoke that binds us together and we work together towards him and our eyes are focused on him, God's plan can be fulfilled for that marriage. That's powerful. God wants one believer and another believer to come together and put him in the middle. And so he can bind them together 
for his purpose, his glory, and their benefit. So they can fulfill that call. Here comes the the great part. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. Or pardon me, 22 to 33. (laughs) Why, Lord? Why? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ. Now watch how this works, okay? And, and we're saying this in humility and love and honor and respect. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay? Husbands, men, put your ears on. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with his word so that he might present church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy, without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm not going to talk long into this section, but wives. This is... As far as I could tell, and in my walk with God, and what I see the scriptures saying, this is how submission works, okay? Submission is done by choice. It's not demanded upon you, wives. Okay? If someone, if your husband is demanding submission, there's something wrong there. It's your choice to submit. This isn't tyranny. This is your God-given right to choose to honor your husband. And no one can force you to do that. It's done by choice and freely under the influence of love or it's not real godly submission. It's done by love. It's not done by duty. It's not done by tyranny. It's because your heart so loves your husband that if there's opposing views, you're willing to to allow him to lead in that sense. Husbands, 
You have to cultivate that choice in your wife by your love toward her. That she'll desire to allow you to make a choice because you've proven your heart for God. You've proven you love her and that you would sacrifice yourself for her. That your family knows that you desire God's will for their life so they can safely trust in you to do that. We, husbands, Warren, smarten up. Every day I need to smarten up. I don't do a good enough job. But my heart's desire is to do that for my family, even though I fail every day. But I'm going to get there. God's going to bring me there. We are responsible before God for our families. Husbands, we're responsible. I'm responsible to lead my family. That's my call. That's my responsibility, not my wife's. It's my responsibility to represent Christ to my wife and to my children. That's, that's ours to own. We're responsible to love our wives and our families like Christ loved the church. Did you get all that out of that chapter 24 there? <laughs> I know I can be a little intense. Uh, but the, the Lord really does love the family unit. There is attack on, on the Western culture on families. I'm telling you, the enemy out there is doing everything he can to break apart what a godly family looks like. He's trying to break down the strength of the man to be a leader, a loving, gracious, powerful leader to his family. And if he can break down the family, I'm convinced he can break down that whole culture. There's a war. Everything I read about the Canaanites, just watch the TV and that's all I'm going to say. What's going on out in our culture right now? So we have a job, Potter's House. As families, if you're single, God has a plan for you. Get that character going in your life right now. Seek the Lord. Allow him to work in your heart. Let's look at some character for a quick second. This will take two, one minute. Okay, Abraham's servant. He traveled under three, a little under 300 miles from Canaan to Mesopotamia. He was, number one, humble before God. He walked humbly before God, trusting him. He was w willing to perform God's will even in the face of some doubt. So don't think if you've got a task to do, if there's little doubt in you, the game over. No, you can have doubt, just keep walking. Abraham's servant did. He was prudent about God's will. So when he got to the well, he was praying. He wanted to make sure he was doing God's will. So he asked for some confirmation 
to make sure he was on the right path because he really wanted to perform God's will in his life. He was timely about accomplishing God's will. He was not a a procrastinator. They were trying to get him to stay, right? Oh, we'll just stay here 10 days. No, no, I got to go, right? Got to get on this. Got to get doing this, okay? Let's look at Rebecca. Her inact, in her interactions, we could see that Rebecca had a soft, godly heart. She was a caring woman. You could see that. Right away, she was willing to serve this stranger she had never met, and his camels, and his... She wasn't like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm out here getting stuff for my family. Do it yourself. I'm out. She stopped and served this guy. She provided care for the stranger. She, she was ready to do God's will in a second. They're like, just ask her if she wants to go. It's not up to us. She said, let's go. In their culture, remember when Isaac came up right away? She said, who is that? And he said, this is my master. She covered her face. Okay, I, I know this was a part of her culture, but as I thought this a little bit, I, I mean, earlier on in the chapter, it said she was very beautiful. I don't think Rebecca was vain about how she looked. She wasn't concerned with how beautiful she was. I think the inside of her character was more important to who she, she covered her face. She wanted the, the godly woman to be recognized in her, not the fleshly beauty. Okay, Isaac. Isaac, it says, he returned. He was busy. He was busy doing some stuff, and he returned. And when he returned, what did he do? It was evening. He went out and meditated. Nobody forced Isaac to go out and meditate. Isaac came back from his journey. I don't know if it was a business journey or whatever, but he came back and he said, man, I'm going out into the field. Lord, let's get alone. I want to meditate on you. Today's meditation is emptying yourself, getting empty. Meditation in Christianity is about filling yourself with God, with his word, with his thoughts, with his character, meditating on who he is. Okay. In the end, it said he was freed to love his mother. Isaac, I love you, mom. Isaac loved his mom. That's important. It's important to love men, our mothers. To care for our mothers, the ladies that are in our lives. And he loved his wife. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign king of every age. From the beginning of time, Throughout eternity, you will reign in glory. Your word is truth, and in it is no lie. Lord, you have a desire for each heart under this roof right now. I pray if there's any person in this place that doesn't know you, that they would recognize that they are a sinner before you, but that you so loved the world, you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in you would be saved. 
So we pray right now if there's a heart in here that they would come to a saving knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ, would turn from their way and follow you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel